0: Uh, we're kicking off a brand new series today called I Am, and I got to start with the story. Uh, when my daughter, uh, she's seven now, but when she was about two or three, she was getting sick a lot. Like she just she couldn't keep down food, and she was just sick in a lot of different ways. And we're like, what's going on? So, you know, as a parent, you worry. And we took it to the doctor, and we're trying to find out some stuff, and we had some tests run. And then we found out something that was, it was shocking. It really blew my mind. It, uh, the doctor said, your, your daughter has an allergy to gluten to which i said wow what in the world is gluten i have no idea we don't do drugs or anything i promise like i don't know you know? and that's I- now, you might already know this because you might be smarter than I was, but gluten is, is, uh, is actually pretty common. I, I thought it was just like, I'd heard of gluten-free diets and I thought it was just like a fad. I thought, honestly, I thought it was something that like supermodels in California did just because they're better than me. Like, I thought that's what gluten-free meant. It's not, it's a, it's a thing, it's a, it's a real thing. Gluten is a protein found in many grains, mainly wheat. And it's a thing that our body uh, it takes in all the time, but some stomachs aren't, and bodies aren't able to, to metabolize it and break it down and do what it's supposed to do. And so, People have allergies. Luckily, my daughter's allergy isn't severe. She just kind of has an intolerance. And so. But for the most part, since she was uh, two or three years old, she's been on a gluten-free diet. Now, what that means is, you're like, eh, wheat. We just won't eat a lot of wheat. I mean, what do you eat a lot of you know, like cereal or something? No, wheat is in everything. In fact, it's, it's in my, one of my favorite foods, bread. Wheat is in bread. <laughs> it's like how you make bread. Now, to be fair, they do have gluten-free bread. It's made out of like, Styrofoam and um, feet (laughs) fungus or something. There's science, uh, and I'm glad that she likes it. But um, you know, it's it's a thing, and I love bread. And, like, if a doctor came to me and said, like, you can't have bread anymore, I'd be like, okay, I'm done. Like, we're not assigned the do not resuscitate papers. Like, we're, I can't do this. But she's been a, a trooper. Maybe you have a, a situation like that, like celiac disease or something else, and, and, and you adjust, and there's other foods. But bread is a major thing. It's a major thing. In our culture, in America, we see bread as like, as like an appetizer or like a side dish. We want it with every meal. Olive Garden, anybody? Like, keep the baskets coming. They're like, would you like some more breadsticks? I'm like, what, am I stupid? Like, are you stupid? Of course. Just, why are you not bringing me more right this second? Just keep bringing more breadsticks. That, like, brown loaf thing that they give you at Outback, I don't know what that is. But, like, they give you that unnecessarily big knife, and it is, you put the butter on it, and it is good. Like, it's so good. And so we chow down on bread, and so sometimes you do the trick, you're like, man, they got salad and breadsticks? I'm just going to take the meal home and it's a go box. I'm going to fill up on bread. We, but we, we see it as just like this, this extra thing. But uh, you, you probably know around the world, bread is a vital part of their nutrients. Uh, it's, it's, the, it's the staple food. Uh, we have phrases like, uh, you know, our daily bread, right? That means like my ability to survive. It doesn't necessarily mean Merida bread or whatever. It's like, no, my daily bread is the ability to uh, be sustained. We have this concept of someone being the breadwinner, Right? That's the person in a family who has the majority of the income. It means they have the ability to survive. So bread throughout the world and throughout history has been huge. Every culture has their own bread. Uh, you know, you think in the Mediterranean region, there, there's pita, and, and in some Asian areas, there's, there's things like naan, and then you've got, you know, in African cultures, I've spent some time in West Africa, and they make this, this, uh, this bread out of kind of a yam thing, but it's like, still like a bread uh, Mexican meals, what would we be without the tortilla, right? I mean, and and it's but these are foundational things, and so we're a little bit spoiled. We realize that as Americans. To think of bread as a side, it's really the sustenance of many people's lives. And so here's a concept I want to put in your mind today, that bread, for many people, equals life, right? Like, if I can't have bread, we're not going to make it. Bread equals life. It's true physically for many people, but as we get into this new teaching series today, what, what I want us to understand is not only is bread vital for physical life, It's a type of bread that is vital for spiritual life, and it's not a pita, and it's not a loaf of bread. It's something different. Uh, Today, we're going to start this this journey through the book of John. John is a gospel uh, in the New Testament. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Turn over to John chapter 6. Flip over or scroll down. We've got Bibles uh, scattered underneath the seats here if you want to borrow one or even keep it. If you need a Bible, you can have one of those. The scripture I'm going to be reading today, most of it will be on the screen behind me. But for the next seven weeks, we're going to be going almost completely through the book of John. And we're going to be focusing on these passages uh, that John identifies Jesus. Actually, Jesus identifies himself with this phrase, I am. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus says the phrase, I am blank. I am this, I am that. Seven different times. Now, that's a big deal because to the Jews, the, the, the phrase I am was a sacred phrase phrase. Uh, let's uh, put on our, our, our ancient history hat real quick, uh, mentally flip back to the beginning of the Bible, to the book of Exodus, uh, and, and you find Moses there. Moses is this this whole story of, of Moses coming down. He was this guy that God selected out of kind of obscurity. He was, a, he was a, a, a shepherd that was living out with his father-in-law. He had had some time in Egypt before that, but that's a whole story. But anyway, God introduces himself to Moses. Now, if you don't know who Moses is, let me just tell you this. Moses is the guy who brought the world the Ten Commandments. As, you know, Everyone's heard of that in some form or fashion. The Jewish society was based off of their legal system, their law. And it was Moses who helped establish that. God kind of gave him all of that. But the very first time Moses meets God, Moses says, well, how am I supposed to lead these people? Who, who am I to tell them has sent me? They don't know me. They don't know who I am. And this is what God tells Moses. He says, tell them that I am like, my name is, or if you want to refer to me as something, or if you want to get one of those little blue stickers that says, Hello, my name is, tell them God said his name is, I am. I am, it's this concept, I, I just exist. I am, I was, I will be, I am now. I am, and I think it's clever that God chooses that as the way to identify himself to Moses. Uh, in Hebrew, the language that Moses and the, the children of Israel spoke, uh, The word I am or the phrase I am is the word Yahweh. You heard the word Yahweh? Uh, It's like the Jewish word for God. One of them, they've got a couple. And Yahweh just means I am. Now, this word Yahweh becomes sacred. They won't say it. The people don't say Yahweh. From what I understand, they would just kind of talk around that phrase. They would speak in different ways, so they didn't have to say Yahweh. Now, this is interesting because seven times in the book of John, and I'm sure many more times in his actual ministry, Jesus uses this phrase, I am to identify himself. Jesus says, I am the son of God. And one time he says, when you've seen me, you've seen the father. And as you follow through his teachings, you realize that Jesus is admitting to the world. What happened was God is in heaven. God looked down on the situation of earth and the sin situation that we're in. And God became a human being. And when God puts on flesh, that person is called Jesus So it makes sense that Jesus would call himself I am, because it's the same guy that was talking to Moses way back then. Um, The reason I give you that little history is because as we step into this section, there are seven different times that Jesus refers to himself as I am. First, we're going to talk about today. He says, I am the bread of life. Later, he says, I am the light of the world. He says, I am the gate, or some translation says, I am the door. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. And so over the next seven weeks, we're going to be going through these seven statements. And the coolest thing about this is it helps introduce us to who Jesus is. And that's why we're calling it seven pictures of who Jesus is. And so I hope that you'll make sure that you stick around for all seven weeks. Or if you've got to miss a week, maybe catch up on the podcast. Because as people who say we're Christians or part of a church that, that is part of Christianity, Christianity is all based on Jesus, and this series is really going to help introduce us to who Jesus really is. Today, he says, I am the bread of life. And so we've already talked about bread some this morning. Before we jump into John 6 and find where he f- says that, uh, go ahead and flip over there. We're going to be looking uh, real quick at verse 14 and then at verse 25, if you were looking for a verse n- number. Uh, but let me give you the context of where John jumps in in John chapter 6. Uh, Jesus is in a busy, busy phase of his life, okay? He has been doing some miracles. He's been talking about establishing this heavenly kingdom that will never end. And slowly, these people, kind of quickly, actually, these people begin to kind of flock to him, to hear his teaching. First it's dozens, then it's hundreds. By the time we get to John chapter 6, we know that there are at least 5,000 men in the group that's following him. Now, this was an ancient counting system. They didn't count women and children. So we're talking potentially ten to 15,000 people. Have you ever been to like a professional sporting event? You know, this is a large percentage of an arena filled with people that are just there to listen to this guy Jesus talking. So when we're in John chapter 6, a lot of the movement of this chapter happens because of the crowd. So at the beginning of John chapter 6, we see what might be one of Jesus' most famous miracles. Jesus, uh, all the people are there, and it's getting near the end of the day, and the apostles come to Jesus, and they say, Hey, look, all these people are here, and we don't have any food to feed them. Should we just send them home? And Jesus says, No, I've got an idea. I'm going to do a miracle. And so the miracle he does is he takes five pieces of bread and two fish from this little boy's lunchbox, and he multiplies it. That's the story. He multiplies it enough that everyone in the group eats their fill. And then there's 12 basketfuls of food left over. That's incredible. Read it on your own this week. It's a really good story. It's a miracle of Jesus. He's just showing the people, like, this is the power that I have. This is who I am. That's the first part of uh, of John chapter 6. And then something happens here because these people are blown away. They're mesmerized by who Jesus is. And look at verse 14 of John chapter 6. It says, after the people saw the miraculous sign that Jesus did, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who is to come into the world. There had been prophecies about a Messiah that was gonna come and deliver the people. And they're saying, This is him. This has gotta be him. In verse 15, it says, Jesus, knowing that they intended to come and try to make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. Have you ever been just surrounded by, like, maybe it was your kids or people at work? If you've ever worked at a daycare or a summer camp, and there was that moment where you're like, I just need a minute. (laughs) This is Jesus taking a minute. Okay, so he walks away. He's like, I don't want to. I'm, I'm going to be your king eventually, but not like you think. I'm going to be the king of a heavenly realm. I'm not going to be a king of like Jerusalem. That's not my goal. And so he just kind of walks away. He's not about to let people force politics onto him. And in the meanwhile, his disciples also say, Okay, we need to go too. So the next part, the middle part of John chapter six, we don't have time to tell this whole story. Read it on your own this week. It's a pretty incredible story. But the next part, what happens is both Jesus and his disciples uh, they cross the Sea of Galilee. They go to a different part of the lake. The disciples take a boat. Jesus decides he's going to walk. That's the part where Jesus walks on water, if you've heard that story. Pretty incredible. Read it on your own. It's pretty awesome. But it's been a busy week for Jesus. Okay, in another village on the other side, I said the crowd drives this story, okay? So now imagine this. 5,000 men, then women and children. They all wake up the next day. They've had their bellies filled. They're like, oh, all right, where's Jesus? Where is he? I'm hungry. <laughs> Jesus fed us supper. I'm ready for some breakfast. They wake up, and Jesus is nowhere to be found. Of course, we know because John told us he had kind of moved out of the way. And this is what happens. This huge crowd begins to look for Jesus. The Sea of Galilee is this big, giant lake, basically. And, and so they're kind of starting on kind of the western end, and they begin to work their way north and east around the edge of this lake. And they go from village to village going, you guys seen Jesus. They're like, some of the people are like, no, we haven't seen him. Other people are like, Jesus, who's Jesus? Oh, let us tell you. He's awesome. We think he's the Messiah, and he fed us all for free. And and people start gathering into the group, and they begin to follow and follow and follow and follow. They finally find him, okay? And that's where we're going to pick up our story today. Verse 25, John chapter 6, verse 25, it says, when they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, which means teacher, Rabbi, when did you get here? Interesting that they asked him this question. I could read something into this. I'm not going to. Jesus basically sees through this greeting, and he's like, look, you got a bigger motive than just finding out when I got here. And he kind of calls them out, verse 26. He says, very truly, I tell you, you're looking for me, not because you saw the signs that I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. The Son of Man's like a nickname for Jesus. Which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Quick pause right here. Uh, During Jesus' ministry, he works hard to distinguish his committed followers from just kind of the bandwagon fans. You know what I'm saying? I love sports. If you know me long, you know that I love sports. I love sports. I love certain teams. But I, I really love the way that sports breaks down barriers. I mean, anybody can sit and talk about sports. People who don't know anything about your team, they might have another team, they'll talk to you about sports in general, and some people more than other, others. It breaks down barriers. And so if you know about sports, this is an interesting thing, you know that there are basically two types of fans, right? There's like the diehards, and there's the fairweathers, right? There's the diehard, committed fans, and then there's the bandwagon fans. Uh, diehard fans, great example. There is a team in the NFL who I don't think they've won a game in, in 50 years. Uh, maybe they've won two or three. Anybody ever heard of the Cleveland Browns? Yeah, like, uh, I'm telling you what, I got some friends who are Cleveland Brown fans, I'm not picking on them, like, just statistically, they have won games, but statistically, they just, they keep on ending up at the bottom of the pile, but I got friends who are Cleveland Browns fans, they will fight you, they will fight you if you talk about the Browns, they're like, yo, let's go Browns, like, for what? We just, they got cool t-shirts, I don't know, I don't know why they pull foot, but they are diehard fans, they will go to the mat over there, Cleveland Browns, right, these are committed fans, any Browns fans in the house, I'm just curious, I don't know, I I wouldn't say it either, but... um, but if you were here, you'd be standing up on stage like, yeah, this is the day I came. You're talking the truth. Um, those, are, those are committed fans. Th- then there's the bandwagon fans. You, you know what those are, right? Uh, there's a lot of them popping up right now. Uh, it's NBA finals right now, and I'll be the first to admit, I'm jumping on the... Um, the Golden State Warriors bandwagon. I love I love watching Steph Curry play. I love watching that team come together. They're a super team. And all the commentators are like, you know, if you don't follow basketball, I'm sorry. But I got most of the dudes who otherwise were like, I don't know if I want to come to church today. like, okay, he's talking about Steph Curry. I'm going to listen. I got your attention. And so like, I'm watching these guys play, and I'm like, I, wow, I just want to see. I want to see how they play. I want to see how they pull it out. Why are they people jumping on this bandwagon with them? Well, two years ago, they won the championship. Last year, they didn't win, but they lost it in a game seven and had the best regular season record ever, and this year, they're still killing it. People are, I'm seeing people wear hats and T-shirts for the Warriors when five years ago, they were like, I didn't even know, do they have a team in Oakland? I don't know, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't know that. Bandwagon fan versus committed fan. Now, as Jesus looks over this crowd, he wants to know, like, who's in it, who's in it for the right reasons? And who's in it just because they're getting a meal ticket? Why do people jump on a bandwagon? Because you found a ringer. You found a winner. You found somebody that you can believe in. You found somebody going to carry you through. And when the times get tough, the bandwagon fans fall away. And Jesus says to them, you're not looking for me because you saw the signs and the wonders I performed. You're not looking for me because you think that I'm sent from God. He says, you're looking for me because you ate the loaves and you had your fill. One of my favorite commentators, uh, Dr. Mark Moore, I quote him a lot, uh, in his commentary on this passage, uh, he says this about that phrase, you ate your fill. He says that in Greek, which is what this was written in, that the word that's used there, the word that Jesus used for ate your fill is the same word that you would use when you would be talking about like farm animals' hay or fodder, like just the stuff you just feed the animals. And in saying that, maybe he was kind of giving this insinuation, like you just kind of, you're just kind of acting like animals right now. You're just at, seeking after this physical fulfillment. You're not really being filled. You're being filled after what you want. this crowd is kind of acting on a carnal level, and I think that sometimes we are guilty of that. You know, maybe maybe one of the reasons that you even come to church is because, you know, maybe just it makes you feel good about yourself. Not that that's bad. It's good to feel good about yourself, right? But Jesus is like, man. You, If you're just here for you, if you're just here because something in you feels good right now, then I'm not sure you really understand what I'm about, because I'm about so much more than that. Yes, Jesus can make us feel good. Yes, he can fill our bellies, but man, he can give us so much more than that. So he wants them to see that there's more to living for him than just having their bellies filled. So you look at verse 27. You can keep the story going. He says, so don't work for food that spoils, but work for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. So we're gonna pick back up in our text now, verse 28. So some of them hear him say this, and they say in verse 28, well, what must we do to do the works God, must, God requires? I think that's a question that I ask a lot. In other words, like, well, God, what do you want from me? Right, isn't that a fair question? God, what, what do I need to do with my life? What's my purpose? What's your goal for me? What? And so Jesus answers them in verse 29, and I think this is an answer for all of us. He says the work of God is this, and it's actually quite simple to believe in the one he has sent. He says, your only job is to believe in me. That's your job. That's your job right now. Your job is to figure out who I am and believe in me. Know that I am who I claim to be, that I will do the things that I say that I'm going to do. And on one hand, that's pretty deep. It's like, wow, man, okay. God revealed himself to us and, and Jesus. And man, that, that's, that's pretty deep. On the other hand, I kind of resonate with the crowd a little bit because it's a little bit confusing. Because I'm like, um, Jesus, I'm not sure you answered my question. Like, step out of John for a second. Go into my head and your head for a second. God, what do you want from me? Believe in me. Okay, but, okay, but what does that mean? Like, how? how what, do you, what do you mean? Like, should I just, like, stand, stand in the street and see if I don't get hit by a car? Like, is that, what, 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 what does it mean, just believe in me? But what I found is the more that I get into who Jesus is and and I read through the things that he said and understand what his disciples taught, I realized that once I begin to put the teachings of Jesus active in my own life, wow, it works. Like the struggles I was having began to become less of a struggle and the doubts that I have I begin to suddenly have assurance in and the questions that I have slowly get answered and the problems that I have seem to seem different relative to who Jesus is and as it piles up I go, oh, God wants me to believe in him. Oh, and so maybe that's you this morning and, and, and like when you hear just believe in Jesus you're like, how? Here's my encouragement for you. Uh, a good step, just come back to church on Sundays. We're gonna be talking about Jesus specifically for seven weeks, okay? So just, you can learn about more about what Jesus said to do and to act and to be and to believe and stuff like that. But get into a community, maybe find yourself with someone today, just that maybe it's the person you came with, or if you, you know, feel that someone around here might have a little farther along their journey uh, in their faith than you, maybe you could just say, hey, listen, I, I got questions, would you mind sitting down with me? Um, in fact, if you don't know anybody and you'd like to do that, my name is Chris, and you're welcome to come and talk to me um, during our communion time later or after church and say, hey, I'd love to... With it. I wish that I could have with, one-on-one time with everybody in this room, but you know, there's only 24 hours in a day. But there's a lot of people in this room that would love to sit and talk with you. And so, I'm just encouraging you. Maybe take some of those steps. And so, they want to know what are we to do to make God happy? And he says, just believe in the one He had sent. And then in verse 30, they have still got more questions. So, look at verse 30. He says, "Well, what sign then will you give that we may see it and believe in you? Right? You're telling me to believe in you. Okay, give us a sign." Show us a sign. Prove, us to who, prove to us who you are. What will you do? Verse 31. Our ancestors ate manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. They were referring to a miracle that Moses, remember we talked about Moses? Moses had done. And they were hungry. They didn't have food. And God provided this bread-like substance that they called manna, which is cool. In Hebrew, that word manna means, what is it? Because they were like, I don't know what it is. Isn't that funny how we do us eat it anyway. Um, but that's what they do. And so they're, they're like, man, Moses gave us bread, Jesus. What are you going to do? How are you going to prove yourself? Take a second, okay? Take this moment in. If I'm Jesus, by the way, it's really lucky for all of us that I'm not Jesus because we'd all be up a creek. But if I'm Jesus and I hear these guys say, what's your sign going to be? I'll be like, what sign am I going to perform? Where have you been? If you read through the book of John, okay? If you haven't, you don't know this. But if you read through the book of John up to chapter 6, Jesus has been killing it with signs and wonders. He's been doing it all over the place. I'm picturing Jesus maybe hypothetically going through the crowd and be like, yeah, what signs have I done? Okay, let's ask this guy. Hey, Jimmy over there. That's Jimmy. Yeah, I've raised him from the dead. Where's this couple? Tina and John. Yeah, Tina and John. I was at their wedding, and they ran out of wine at their wedding, and my mom came and bugged me about it. And so I decided to help them out. So I turned water into wine. And see, this guy, he had leprosy and I healed him and on and on the list would go and he'd say you know what over there I see you guys hiding behind the bushes and maybe there was a group of like Jewish leaders back there the Jewish leaders were always following him around trying to figure out who he was about and and what's funny is they were all really angry you know why because they had seen the signs and wonders and I think the little Jimmy would be like yup and Tina and John would be like Yep, and the leaders back there would be like, yep, he's done the signs and wonders. And then if I was Jesus, which I'm not, I would say, and where were you like two days ago when I fed 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish, don't you remember that? And they'd be like, oh yeah. Because that's how we do. Jesus doesn't do any of that. I wish he would if it had been funnier. Um, but in verse 32, this is what he says instead. He says, very truly, I tell you, this is that moment when your mom's angry, but she closes her eyes and she talks real soft and slow. This is Jesus. Jesus says to them, very truly, I tell you, it's not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. It was my father who gave you the true bread from heaven. Like Jesus doesn't even take the moment to brag about all the stuff he'd done. He's like, okay, for, you think Moses gave your ancestors that bread? Oh man, you guys are so far off. Moses, when we found Moses, he was a confused shepherd hiding in, uh, in his father-in-law's house and scared to death of speaking in public. That's where, how we found Moses. That's how he became the father of your nation. Okay, so don't talk to me about what are my signs and wonders. God the Father has the purposes, and he's the one who's already shown himself to you through me. And then he says in verse 33, For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They're like, okay, let me get this straight. You made bread for us over there. Okay, sorry, we forgot about that. We've come over here. We've asked you for some more food. And you've said there's bread coming from God. Okay, follow their train of thought in verse 34. So they say, sir, always give us this bread then. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't care where the bread comes from. We're hungry. And it's here that Jesus says what I think we're here today to hear. So listen closely, and we're going to unpack it in verse 35. Jesus then declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Now, their story goes on, but let's be honest. Their story doesn't matter as much as your story does right now. And I'm curious, what is it that you've been trying to fill yourself with? What is it that you've been going to God and saying, God, please fix this, please answer this prayer, please give me this relationship, please give me this love, please give me this acceptance, please give me this money, blah, 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 blah. And if, like Jesus is looking down at me and he's looking at you and he's saying, I am the bread of life. In the Greek language, there are several words for life, three in the New Testament. Two of them are the main ones that we see, Okay. And, and I want to tell you what they are because you kind of already know what they are. The first one is the word bios or bios. Uh, you've heard this word. It's where we get the word biology. Okay, it's like life from nature. It's life itself. It's just life, the existence of life. And so it's, it's heartbeat. It's brain activity. It's that thing when you're in the hospital and you're hooked up to the machine and it's going boop, boop, boop. You've got bios. Good job. All right? That's life. And it's just there, right? And we see it around us. But when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, he doesn't use th- it's a different one. He uses the word Zoe. Zoe. Anybody got a friend named Zoe? Yeah. yeah? Do you? Awesome. Well, her name comes from this, and uh, or it could be him, I guess. Zoe and. What it means is more like this life from the divine, spiritual life, fulfilling life. Uh, This is a better use of that word. You're in your backyard, it's the perfect day. You're off work, you've got nothing to do. You are laying in a hammock, and the temperature is perfect. And you've got your favorite beverage and your favorite book or whatever it is that you do for entertainment. And you're laying there, and you take a deep breath, and you go, Oh, this is the life. That's Zoe. You see the difference? Boop, 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 versus Oh. Which one would you rather have? Right? Jesus says, I am the bread of Zoe. That's the kind of life I give. Life from the divine, spiritual meaningful life. Occasionally, you've got to quote C.S. Lewis if you're a preacher. If you ever aspire to be a preacher, just make notes, okay? Um, and so I, wanna, I got a good one from C.S. Lewis today that, that hits on the same idea, and this is what he says in his book, Mere Christianity, about these two words. He says, a man who changed from having bios to having zoe would have gone through the same, as big a change as a statue who changed from being carved stone to being a real man. You seen Pinocchio? It's like, wow, that's so much different. I'm not just alive. I'm alive. That's the difference. Zoe life. And so when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, the word he uses there says, I am am real life. I am divine life. These people were hungry, and they wanted their bellies filled. And he did that. In fact, he always does that. If you read the stories of Jesus when he's helping people, he always meets a physical need first whether it's a hug or helping with a disease or helping a blind person see. He always helps meet the physical needs first, but it's only, it's only an avenue into their heart because beyond that, he almost always follows up with something like this. Go and sin no more. Or, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father or something like that where he just says, I've got something bigger for you. That's why our city team works every month to partner with nonprofits in the city to help meet physical needs. Not because, uh, you know, every foster care family needs a care package for their caseworker. Sure, that's great. But it's helping to meet a physical need to break down any barriers that there might be towards a spiritual need. And that's Jesus' model, and it's ours, and I hope that it's yours, and I hope that it's something that we can learn from. But these physical needs are are temporary. They're temporary. I love breadsticks from Olive Garden. But I tell you what, like, if I have a severe depression, the breadsticks just aren't going to fill that hole. They're not. There's something deeper that needs to be worked on for me, and some of us, we will drown ourselves in a big old thing of ice cream, right? Because this will fix it, this will fix it. But you can't fix your soul with physical solutions. We try to fix spirit-deep problems with skin-deep solutions, let me say this again because I think this is too true too often. We try to fix uh, spirit-deep problems with skin-deep solutions. You're stressed out at work or whatever, and so you self-medicate from the alcohol cabinet. Or maybe uh, you just think, I can't be happy, but if I could just lose 10 more pounds, then I could be happy. And we try to fix a spirit-deep problem with a skin-deep solution, or maybe you don't feel respected or cherished, and so you decide that you're going to go be physically with every person will make themselves available. And it just, instead of filling us, it makes us feel emptier and emptier. And Jesus says, I am the bread of life, the bread of Zoe. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. You know, around the world, bread means sustenance. It means life. Daily bread, having a breadwinner. It's important to have the bread available daily for our children and these physical needs, whether it's food or shelter or water or clothing, these physical needs are important. In Mark chapter 4, this is another gospel, another story of Jesus' life. Uh, Mark tells the story of Jesus and kind of this, uh, this battle with Satan. And Satan is just trying to bring Jesus down, and Jesus is in a pretty weak state in his, in his physical life. He's decided to fast for 40 days, which is an incredible feat. And so Satan shows up, and he's trying to tempt Jesus into just doing whatever he can just to, to meet some of these physical needs. So he offers him things like power and like respect. And at one point he says to Jesus, you're hungry? Well, look, man, you're powerful. Why don't you turn these stones into bread? And the way that Jesus responds to him is good. Because could Jesus have turned the stones into bread? Well, yeah, if he wanted to. But he was fasting for spiritual reasons and he, was, he didn't want to be tempted by the devil. And so this is what Jesus says. He says, look, man cannot live on bread alone. But... By every word that comes from the mouth of God. As we continue in this series, I want us to maybe use that as a mantra to move forward. That there are so many things that we try to fill ourselves with. And we can kind of steal Jesus' name for himself, I am blank. And I think sometimes we try to replace our, put ourselves in that position. I am I am able. I'm the breadwinner. I'm the one who has the plan for our life. I'm the one who's in charge of my marriage. I'm the one who's in charge of my job. I'm the one who's in charge of, uh, uh, of my children. I'm the one who's in charge of uh, the economy or politics. as My voice matters and I vote. Or I'm the one who does this. Or I'm the one who does that. And yes, we do have a role to play in this world. But I think that Jesus is looking down at us and saying, will you, will you take a step back? And will, instead of you trying to fix it all yourself, will you eat from the bread of life? So I... Get this filling, lasting, eternal filling, and you will never be hungry again. Life is a roller coaster, and we constantly are trying to one-up our own lives. You know, get a new phone, get a new toy, get a new car, get a new boyfriend or girlfriend, get a new, uh, you know, occupation, get a new degree, get a new thing, and, and it's like this rat race. We chase it, and then we never find the end. What if instead we just... You ever seen those infomercials, the ask Seen on TV things, and they make it look like, if you just had this product, your life would be better. What if we just decided to stop believing the lies, and we go to the one source of life, Jesus? This is only the beginning. we got six more of these, and each one is going to build as Jesus reveals more and more about himself to us. My prayer, my challenge for you this week is simply this. Ask yourself this one question. What step do I need to take? Like, what's my choice? What's the step that I need to take so that I can understand more about this Zoe life that Jesus offers? Or maybe you know all about it and you just need to say, I need to eat from it more fully. You know, we can get so much filling from listening to the word of God, like the Bible. I encourage you to open it. Read the book of John this month. We'll be all up in the book of John. Read it. Take your time with it. We'll be in it for seven weeks. That's almost two months. See what Jesus can teach us. See what we can learn from his life and his actions And I'm going to tell you, you won't regret it. You won't regret it. You can go to God and say, what do you want from me? He said, I I don't want anything from you. Just take me. Just take me and then I'll fill in all the gaps and I'll make your life fill with me. I am the bread of life. Let's have a prayer this morning. God, thank you for speaking to us this morning and working in us. I thank you for providing for us some truth uh, when we feel upside down or feel confused. I thank you for providing for us uh, friends when we feel alone. I pray that this community will be one where we can gather around one another and just um, help lead one another towards you. I mean, we, we even get become guilty of trying to <laughs> fix each other's problems. Uh, Lord, help us to lead all, all of our hunger to you. And thank you for promising to fill us. God, as we continue in our time today, I just pray that anyone who's got any needs, uh, is able to begin to release them to you and that as a community, we can gather around one another and try to, to help each other out. Lord, we love you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.